Good morning, good afternoon, good evening everyone, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to another one of our Embraced by the Divine co-author course where I showcase a different uh, co-author in my book Embraced by the Divine each week. Today we have the pleasure of uh, Edie Weinstein and she will be talking about cracking open. So first of all, before I introduce Edie formally, I'll just tell you a little bit about myself in the book and um, then we'll get started. So I'm the compiling author of Embraced by the Divine, the Emerging Woman's Gateway to Power, Passion and Purpose. And you can find out uh, a whole lot more about the book and how to purchase it at embracedbythedivine.com. So that's all one word, embracedbythedivine, one word, dot com. So I co-create transformational energetic shifts in people, especially women who are ready to make a bigger difference in the world. I assist people to dissolve limiting beliefs and energetic blockages so they can step fully into their power, passion and purpose. I'm the founder of the Heal the Healer community and my private healing practice in Melbourne, Australia is Angel Wings Healing and you can find out more about Angel Wings Healing at www.angelwingshealing.com So the book itself, which depending on when you're listening to this interview, you'll either be able to pre-order it or you will be able to buy it directly. Um, the, the book itself is designed to inspire women around the world to believe in themselves more and to feel that no matter what challenge or trauma life throws at you, there's always a chance to turn it around and to grow from the experience. And this is exemplified by all of our co-authors in the book. The authenticity and vulnerability of each author, and that includes Edie, um, it inspires an if-they-can-do-it attitude, then I can too message. So it's a very inspirational book. It's also a teaching tool. And I'll tell you a little bit about Edie too. Edie Weinstein, LSW, is a colourfully creative journalist, inspiring transformational, or inspiring transformational speaker, licensed social worker, interface minister, radio host, bliss coach, and the author of the Bliss Mistress Guide to Transforming the Ordinary into the Extraordinary. She calls herself an optimistic who sees the eyes. She sees the world through the eyes of possibility and her website is optimistical.com so that's O-P-T-I-M-Y-S-T-I-C-A-L.com and if you're listening to this on the webcast screen uh, you will see a link that clicks straight through to her website as well as links that clicks through to the Embrace by the Divine website as well. So what do you do when your life cracks open? It could be as a result of illness, injury, death, relationship shifts, financial challenges, job loss or a whole lot more. So change is one constant in our lives and I'm pretty sure we've probably all found that by now. We have a choice as to whether we duck and cover or stand vulnerably naked with our hearts exposed. So today I'm going to be talking to Edie about some of her experiences not only um, in writing the chapter in the book which she's called authenticity revealing the real which is very raw and open and beautifully written but it's also about what has happened to her since she wrote her chapter there's been quite a, a 
big, big, huge journey that she's been on, which has caused her to perhaps reevaluate some of where she was at and perhaps to do some things differently in her life. So, Edie, welcome to the call. And, um, yeah, can you tell us about some of the, the changes and the challenges that you've, you've faced, especially, you know, some of the more recent ones, uh, because you've been on quite an amazing journey. Thank you, and I'm grateful to be on this call. Thank you, Michelle, for bringing us all together. When I wrote the chapter, I'm thinking, what, it was maybe two two years ago already that Lorraine Cohen... It, it seems like it. Of, it wasn't really that yeah, long, but it just seems ago. that way. It seems like forever ago. Lorraine Cohen yeah. and I, who's one of the other authors, and she and I have known each other, I don't know, 25, 30 years maybe, were sitting at lunch one day, and she was telling me about your book. And I said, ooh, 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 you know, if there's still spaces available, count me in. I want to do it. So she was our yenta. She was our matchmaker that connected us. And what I wrote about in that chapter were the losses that I had experienced um, mostly in 1992 when my husband died. I had an ectopic pregnancy and the fallopian tube ruptured, and we lost our home to Hurricane Andrew. And I called that our year from hell. And we survived it, and we continued on for another six years, and then my husband died in 1998, and that turned my life topsy-turvy, but I landed on my feet. I became an interfaith minister then. Um, I, I, we had published a magazine for 10 years called Visions, and I became a freelance journalist after that, after we sold the magazine. So a lot of the things that I'm doing now professionally came as a result of all of those major changes. And that's, you know, for those of you who are listening, know that everything that happens is happening for you, not to you. And it may seem like that, like you're a victim, but if I were to t- had, had taken that victim stance, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So fast forward, and in 2008, my father died. Um, he had Parkinson's and had been a very robust, vital, energetic man, and it just sucked the life out of him. And... Although I miss him terribly, I know that he really needed to let go. He and my mother were married almost 52 years when he died, and she lived another two and a half years. And um, her death really catapulted me into a lot of what I'm doing, including finishing my book, uh, which came out in 2011. So those were two major losses in my life that I kept pretty, pretty much undercover, pretty repressed for a while because as a social worker and as a minister, I was all business. You know, I, I was the one that, it, that interacted with hospice for them. I was the, um, the clergy that officiated at their services. I was my mom's power of attorney and executor for her estate. So I just kept on keeping on. And because I repressed a lot of that, my body was giving me signals that said, wake up, pay attention. The first one was in November of 2013. And not not coincidentally, it was the anniversary of my mother's death. I developed a really nasty case of shingles. The whole left side of my face looked like I'd gone a few rounds with um, Joe Frazier, I guess, or Rocky or whatever. <laughs> my left eye was swollen. I looked like a Klingon on that side of my face, you know, from Star Trek, with bumps and ridges and um, stabbing headache. And I went to the doctors, got, you know, was a good girl, took my medicine, rested, rested a little bit, took a couple of days off of work, and then I said, nope, got to get back. Keep going, keep going. And I figured that was my wake-up call. I slowed down a little bit, but apparently not enough. In June of the next year, 2014, I was on my way home from the gym, and I had these pretty scary symptoms. Jaw pain and tightness, torrential sweats, worse than any hot flash you would ever imagine, searing heartburn pain, nausea, dizziness, and I thought, I'm having a heart attack. Wow, imagine that. It was surrealistic. I wasn't panicked. I didn't get scared. I didn't pull over. And I didn't go straight to the hospital either. 
I drove home. I called the office where I was doing therapy and said, can you cancel with, you know, so-and-so? I'm supposed to see him in an hour. And I'm not feeling very well today. And that's literally how I said it. And then I thought, oh, my God, I feel really sweaty. I need to take a shower. And I said, wait a minute, woman. What are you doing? Get yourself to the hospital. I still didn't call 911. I still didn't call 911. I drove myself to the hospital. And oh, I could have, you know, I could have died on the way. I could have caused a serious accident. So I stumble into the ER and I say calmly, I think I'm having a heart attack. They whisk me up to the cardiac cath lab. And you'll get a kick, a kick out of this. Um, the nurse said to me, you're going to hate me, but I'm only going to shave you on one side. Because one entry point for the catheterization is through the groin. The other is through the wrist. She said, just in case, we have to go in through the groin. And I said, well, can't you at least do a landing strip? And she says, no, no, no. You're on your own for that one. You know? <laughs> so fortunately, it was just my wrist. That, you know, she didn't have to go in that way. Um, an hour later, I was back in my room. And and I was, you know, warned not to let this happen again by the doctor. So it, it initiated a huge series of changes, everything from dietary change to cardiac rehab, medication. The biggest change for me was rest. I'm not super, you know, I'm, I'm not superhuman, despite, you know, what I thought about myself. And my family and my friends made me stay home from work for two weeks. My boss said, we will not let you in the door. <laughs> you know, you're staying home. You're not coming back to work. We will handle everything. And I lay on my, my sofa looking up at the ceiling fan spinning around. I took naps. I literally walked one step at a time, like I'm walking through a labyrinth because I got winded. I couldn't breathe. And when I went to cardiac rehab, I was talking and exercising at the same time. And they said, no, 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 you need to focus on exercise and and breathing. And I said, look, you don't get it. I'm a professional speaker. I need to be able to walk and talk at the same time. (laughs) So, you know, um, and I was still pushing myself very hard. And fortunately, uh, right before that happened, two weeks before that happened, I was offered a full-time job working from home as a writer because my previous job was doing drug and alcohol counseling in an outpatient rehab program, working 12-hour days, coming home, um, doing my writing, doing, you know, preparing for all kinds of things, in a financial panic that I wouldn't be able to support myself, getting maybe five or six hours sleep a night. So that, in addition to um, family predisposition, my mom died of congestive heart failure, and my sister has had three heart attacks, and she's younger than I am. Um, I knew that I really needed to pay attention. So the day that I started my new job, I was covering a conference in my area and, you know, writing about it. I had kidney stones. I have never had kidney okay. stones. Okay. And I, you know, I would not wish that pain on anybody. It was horrible. So the entire weekend I was in and out of the hospital with kidney stones. Then I thought I was done. <laughs> then, um, you know how when you have medical tests or what they call incidental findings, um, they, they find other things that they didn't see before. Like when you go to the mechanic, sort of like that, they found a lesion on one of my breasts. And they said, well, go get you know, a mammogram. But I decided to get breast thermography instead. And they, they, they can also detect other conditions. And the doctor said, you've got adrenal fatigue. And if you don't slow down, you're going to hit the wall. And you're going to be really sick. So I had to cut my cardiac rehab down to three days a week, and I did it in a panic. I thought, oh, no, you can't take that away from me. And that's when I realized what a workaholic I am, literally an addiction. You know, Absolutely. So workaholism, a, yeah. a, a huge yeah. lesson in that for everyone because I'm, I'm yep. sitting yep. here aghast listening to a lot of what you were saying. You know, like you know you, you had a heart attack and you, you're driving yourself to the hospital and you're, you know, mm-hmm. connecting uh, or, you know, 
leaving messages that you know you won't be able to see particular clients and things during the day. It's like just get to the hospital for heaven's sake. Right. You know yeah. how 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 much do we focus on giving, giving, giving to others and putting ourselves mm-hmm. on and our needs yeah. on the back burner? And from what yeah. you're saying, you know the the everything that's happened to you in the last twelve months has been. Um, well, e- extreme to put it mildly, and even then, mm-hmm. you still had to have further nudges to say, "Slow mm-hmm. down." Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, it's yeah. been. Uh, we can almost laugh about it, and maybe you, in retrospect, I can do even laugh about find the humorous. <laughs> oh my God, what was I thinking at the time? Yeah. So, have you had yeah. that kind of experience? Because you, you've undergone so much. You've, you know, you've had the heart attack you've had the kidney stones which my doctor had as well and he said it's the most painful thing on earth so um yeah so you know that that obviously is not something i want to get either and then the adrenal fatigue well i wonder where that came from you know (laughs) not not obvious at all is it so in retrospect if you had to do things differently uh or, or if you you know were in that situation again what would you do differently well, you know, with a heart attack, I would have, I would have, I don't know, I don't know if I would have pulled over, but I would have gone straight to the hospital. I mean, I wasn't that far away. I lived less than ten minutes from the local hospital, so I, you know, and I and I would have called. I probably would have gone home and called nine one one, because what they told me after, you know, when I got to the hospital was that had I been in an ambulance, they could have started an IV right away. They could have monitored my vital signs, and the doctor told me that I was really fortunate that there is no residual damage to my heart. But that I could have died. Uh, Thirty, mm-hmm. I think it's something like thirty percent of women survive their first heart attack. And he said you have to do major lifestyle change. And the biggest change for me was the attitude. I was in such fear that I wouldn't be able to support myself. I was in such, um, and it's been a long-term issue for me where I'm uh, a Type A personality, and I've become, a, I've downgraded to a Type B plus at least. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was always this performance. I was a child that had asthma, and I always felt like I had to run to keep up with everybody and to prove myself. And I had to be, I wasn't a straight-A student, but pretty close to it, and I always felt like I had to tap dance for approval. And, you know, with the adrenal fatigue, I would say things like, I'm running on adrenaline and fumes. I'm burning the candle at both ends till there's almost no wax left. And I literally was living that way. So I'm much more conscious now. I take naps. If I'm tired, I rest. If I can only do one thing a day, I do one thing a day. And I, uh, the other thing that's changed for me is that I know, I mean, I, I've always known that, that we have a limited time on earth. I don't hold back telling people how I feel about them. I tell people that they matter to me. I tell people that I love them. And I show it because I don't know if today's my last day. And I want exactly. to know. None I want them do. to know. No, no, we don't. No. Mm-mm. And no, it's not okay. morbid or maudlin, you know, but that's the reality. Yeah, and I've I've had two near-death experiences myself, and it's, it, it makes you reevaluate where you are and what's really important in your life. And what's mm-hmm. really important is not pushing yourself to the max and getting more and more work done to prove yourself to anyone. It's actually about... Yes being with those that matter to you, family and friends. Mm-hmm. And I love what you've done too, Edie, with this, um, pardon me, I, I, I can't remember the exact name you've put on it, but it's like a hug isn't it, where you, you know, oh, offer yeah. free hugs to people mm-hmm. in the street. I mean, that's yeah. so gorgeous. You know, that can really Thank shift you. someone's whole day. 
Oh, yeah. Well, it's, I call it the – I started out doing a free hug flash mob at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. It's a big train station. And there were a dozen friends, and I were there. And one of, the, one of them dubbed us hug mob. I don't know whether I did or one of them called us hug mobsters. Or they referred That's to me as right, hug, yes. mo- hug, hug, bo- <laughs> the hug mob boss, I'm, you know, the mob boss. So I called us hug mobsters armed with love. And then I decided that the next one wouldn't be a flash mob because then that's over really quickly. And um, I live near a little town in Pennsylvania called Doylestown, and it's um, very community-oriented. And there's a, an intersection where there's a Starbucks, so we always meet there at the corner of State and Main, and then we disperse from there through town. And another friend created these T-shirts with little hearts and, and the hug mobsters armed with love on it and little hands, you know, uh, you know, holding, facing outward. And when I first saw the template for it, I said, oh, the hands are right at the right spot for the girls, <laughs> you know, like right, <laughs> right at the breast level. And I said, but they're facing out, not in, you know. And I thought that was really cute. So, um, you know, like people can order the t- – I can order T-shirts for people. But I've, we've done them with as few as three or four of us and as many as a dozen of us, and people love it. It makes such a huge difference in folks' lives. When they know that they're loved, they know that they matter. Healthy, nurturing touch is so important. And we've had little kids hug us. We've had the coolest one was teenagers. There was a group of teenage girls that came to us. Um, I think it was in June. Um, it was my first. I, I did it in. We did it on Valentine's Day last year, and then um, then on June June twelfth, which was my first cardioversary, is what I called it. Um, and we had a group of teenage girls that came with us, I think in February, and they said, you know, we were just talking about how, about gossip and how mean people can be, and then you guys show up and give us hugs, and we want to come, we want to come join you. And how many teenage girls want to hang out with people old enough to be their parents, you know? Mm. Um, and we just loved it. So I've got the, we did one on September 21st, which is International Peace Day. I've got another one coming up, I think it's December 4th, during the holidays, so I'm calling the holiday hug stroll and our little town loves it people recognize me when they see me on the street oh you're the hug lady and you know and i want to take it on the road i really really want to take you know take the hug hug mobsters on the road so such a such a wonderful idea i just love it and it it really shows your creative uh you know bent that you have naturally so, Edie, I'm I'm really interested to to find out because uh, you know even with the work that you've done with the the counselling and so on in the past and all the experiences you've had and you know interfaith minister and so on, there's a lot of and obviously your personal history with so much happening in 1992 and then your husband dying in 98 and then your father in mm-hmm. 2008 and so on. And all of these things, you know, leave their energetic residue in the heart. You know how we we process and cope with the the grief and the sadness that these leave behind and obviously for you part of that was you know stuffing it down pretending it didn't exist that you dealt with it when actually it was still sitting there and it obviously erupted eventually in a very physical way so how when you're in these situations where there is one thing after another which is really impacting on the heart emotionally how do you keep your heart open when you're really tempted to to armor it to place protection in around it so you don't get hurt anymore how do you keep your heart open in these circumstances well lately i've cried a lot um in the last month or so i've come to terms with the fact that they're gone i mean they're physically emotionally with me and i know you do work connecting with 
spirit in all different forms, but I feel them with me, but literally physically they are gone. And I was so used to them being my cheerleaders and, and physically being there to support me. And, um, you know, so there was that. And then, the, and then uh, about six weeks ago, I got laid off from that wonderful job. And I thought, uh-oh, now what? Well, as you know, as life will have it and the universe will have it, I have an, I have an even better job now. I have two other writing jobs that combined pay almost as much as what I was making before, and it's less stress and less time that I'm putting into it. And the same, the same field in um, um, reco- addiction recovery and mental health is what I write about now. So, um, you know, there was that fear, and then a whole lot of shifts took place in my life, relationship shifts. The job loss, the you know, the still being aware, you know, I, I, it came to me that I don't want to feel like a cardiac patient for the rest of my life. So I made a change in terms of where I work out now. The gym where I work out is, is where cardiac rehab is, and I've moved to a different part of the gym because it felt safe to be in the cardiac rehab part, even though I wasn't officially, I was what I called off the tether. <laughs> now they weren't supervising me, but I felt safer being there. And then I realized, uh-uh, I need to, to spread my wings and go to a different location. So I still go to the same gym, but not in the cardiac rehab department. And that was a stretch, and that cracked me open too. And then um, I've been doing more traveling and spending more time on the road. And um, my son is um, moving into another phase in his life. He's in a relationship with a lovely woman, and, and they're talking marriage now, and, and that was a big cracking open. And just getting real with how I feel you know, in, in my life and to realize that I, you know, I, if I'm going to be living my dreams and my passions, there's no time like the present. So that helps me. And when I, when I shut down, I have wonderful friends that, that help me with, you know, emotional surgery. And they, you know, rotor-rooter healing, if you want to call it that. Beautiful. Excellent. So I know that you have uh, something you term an open heart therapy process. So mm-hmm. would you like to tell us a little bit more about that, what that is and, and lead us through sure. that? Sure. It's a meditation, and it's spontaneous. It's not anything I have written down. It's whatever comes through. You know yourself as somebody that channels. It's whatever comes through at the moment. But it's a way of easing people into um, opening not just their their biological heart, but their spiritual and emotional heart. That I remember hearing a story about a cardiac surgeon that when he did open heart surgery on someone, literally saw a light glowing in the person's heart you know you think et you know turn on your heart light so Mm. the heart is more than just a biological mechanism you know i look at that as the source of or the location of wherever whatever you call spirit that the 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 vital essence of who we are lives there so this will be a brief five-minute meditation where people have the opportunity to tap into that part of themselves and let it do whatever it needs to do to enhance their lives. So, do you want to do it too, Michelle? <laughs> do you want to? Oh, I want I'll to keep an eye on the clock. It, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the clock. It's now 5:20 Eastern time. So, five, at 5:25 Eastern time, I'll bring you back to conscious awareness. How's that? That sounds really good. Okay, so we're going to take a deep breath together. <sighs> Let it out with a sigh. And as we're breathing together, let us have the awareness that we are fully alive, that we are vital, that we are on this side of the veil because we are breathing. 
And I invite you to get comfortable either sitting or lying down wherever you are. And place your hands on your physical heart. The heart chakra, which is known as Anahata, A-N-A-H-A-T-A, which translates in Sanskrit to the unstruck note. So I like to think of our hearts as being an instrument of love as we allow ourselves to play the strings. You can think of it as a lyre or a harp or something, you know, a stringed instrument and allow God, the God of your understanding or spirit, to be the musician of this beautiful instrument. And feel the breath flowing in and out of your lungs, in and out of your nose or mouth, whichever is most comfortable for you. And as you're breathing, imagine the breeze flowing through that instrument and hear the exquisite music that it makes as you allow your heartstrings to be played by life. And as you continue to breathe, feel your body totally supported by whatever it is you're lying or sitting upon, knowing that you don't have to do anything but be. Imagine that. And feel each part of your body become like clay or silly putty moldable and pliable, releasing anything that stands between you and total relaxation. And any other sounds that you might hear, allow them to be part of the relaxation experience. And now as you sink more deeply into the surface that is supporting you. Let your vivid imagination take hold and lead you to a beautiful place in nature where you feel most at home, most at peace. And allow this to be a full sensory experience as your eyes take in the beauty around you and you breathe in the fresh, clean air. Perhaps feel a breeze on your skin, or ruffling your hair. The warmth of the sun, if it's there. Whatever your senses can drink in, allow it now. That you're bathing in all of this magnificence. And in this very peaceful place, allow your heart to speak to you. Could be in words, could be in emotions. Let it say whatever it is that you most need to hear right now for it to feel appreciated, to feel respected, to fully embrace the totality of your life and your purpose. Just take a few moments to do that now.
and ask it, what will you have me do today? Who will you have me show love to? What actions will you have me take to put you out into the world? How can I honor you? And whatever emotions arise as a result of this, know that they are completely safe to feel. And know that this is a process that you can do anytime, anywhere, for longer than five minutes. Just don't do it while you're driving. And in this next moment, I invite you once again, if your hands are not still there, to imagine that you're embracing your heart, that you're holding your heart in your own hands, and you're offering it to the world, but still keeping it within your yourself, that it can be both. The heart is flexible, that you can honor your own sweetheart and be a sweetheart in the world. And I invite you every day to hold your own heart sacred. And then just take a few more slow, easy breaths as you become more aware of your surroundings, the sound of my voice, any sensations in your body. And be aware if you notice a shift in energy or the way your hands feel or the way your heart feels. And take this experience out into the world with you, everywhere you go. And know that you are a love rock star. Rock on, baby. <laughs> Welcome back, angels. Oh, that was so beautiful, Edie. I still have my hands cupped over my heart. I don't actually want to, oh, to let it go. It just feels so oh, good. So wonderful and soothing and calming and balancing. It's and uh, one of the messages I got from my own heart was just take some time, take more time to be in the stillness with me, so we can talk. Mm. So just really getting that heart communication, which when we're caught up in the busyness of everything, it can be quite easy to forget how important it is to Mm. really connect with our heart and to operate not just from our our head where we're you know we can go into that struggling pushing forcing trying to figure it out mode but actually drop into the heart which for me is a reflection of the soul it's the way we Mm -hmm. get in touch with the wishes of our soul and the wishes of the divine Mm -hmm. perfect so um it's been wonderful talking with you today Edie. it's your story is absolutely fascinating and inspirational and I hope that by sharing your story uh, with the listeners that it's perhaps inspired some of the people on the call to say hey you know maybe I'm working too hard maybe I need to tone it down to cut back 
what is it that I'm still holding inside that I really need to process? You know, is it uh, someone's death um, that I, I still, I've, I've shut away and I haven't been able to connect with to process because it will, the pain will still be sitting there. So if it's inspired people to take action to either do their inner work or to work with a therapist, um, that is absolutely wonderful. And just to make lifestyle changes which are more in alignment with honouring you. Um, there's a, an expression, and I don't know whose quote it is, but it, it's something along the lines of fill up your own cup first energetically so that you can give to others from the overflow. And that's something that as uh, healing professionals, it's so easy for us to forget because we are hardwired to give, give, give and give, give some more until we're completely exhausted and it just hurts. So this is about really redressing that balance, honouring us, putting ourselves as an, really our number one priority, not in an egotistical or selfish way, but in a way that feeds us first so that we can then be of maximum benefit to other people, to those we're meant to serve. So I'm hoping that everybody is going to hop on over to the Embraced by the Divine website. That's embracedbythedivine.com to check out the new book. And depending when you listen to the call, you can either pre-order it or you'll be able to buy it directly through Amazon and maybe some other means as well. Uh, so hop on over to the website, check out the book. It's very inspirational. There's lots of deep wisdom in it. There are lots of beautiful teaching tools and processes included in each chapter as well. And they're not the run-of-the-mill mainstream things. They're all things that have worked for us as individuals, as the co-authors, things that have worked for us when we've been in crisis periods. And these are usually things that we have developed ourselves through our um, background as healers and, and spiritual teachers. And of course, do hop on over to Edie's website as well. That's optimistical.com with a dash between the opti and the mystical. And have a look at some of what she offers. Check out her radio shows. Lots and lots of great stuff there. Um, yeah, it, so I think that's about it for the call. And thank you everyone who's attended today. And we look forward to connecting with you uh, through the medium of the book as well. The book itself has lots and lots of great free gifts in it. And if you purchase the book either on the launch day or pre-order the book, you'll get the book for an amazing discount too, which is undisclosed at the moment, but it's an amazing discount. And also a huge bundle of free gifts as well from myself or the co-authors and also a lot of people who've chosen to partner with us for the launch event. So we look forward to uh, seeing you through the book and connecting with you further. So thank you so much, Edie, and uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the call today. My pleasure. I'm I'm honoured to be here. Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of the call. So it's it's uh, goodbye from me, and hopefully also from Edie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there was that pregnant pause there, wasn't there? And sending, and sending you hugs from here. I'm in, I'm in Pennsylvania, so we're out into the world sending big hugs. Good. Go hug mobster. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take care, everyone. Bye for now. Namaste.